Well, hello there. This is Aaron, teaching pastor for Riverwood Church. Thanks for tuning in to An Incarnational Life, the third part in our Incarnational Christmas series. Before we get going with the message, just want to invite you to our Christmas Eve services. We have two this year with Christmas Eve falling on Sunday. We will first be gathering at 10 a.m. at the Waverly Area Veterans Post. We have an absolutely wonderful Christmas Eve service planned. And then if you're still in town, come to Grace Baptist Church at 6 p.m. We are combining Riverwood and Grace Baptist Baptist for one very beautiful, simple Christmas Eve service as we celebrate the coming of Jesus. With that, let's get into today's message. Just a heads up, today's message, we didn't get the recorder started right at the very beginning. So you're going to join the message right where I am talking about getting a Christmas tree. It was my opening illustration. My family has an annual tradition of cutting down a Christmas tree. So with that, join in as my family has just found our tree. This year, we set a record for how fast we found a tree. Couldn't believe it. Literally within five minutes of being there, we found our tree. About two minutes later, we have felled it. We were victorious. I mean, it was a triumph. And then we proceeded to bring our tree back to the main area where we saw friends and we proceeded to talk for the next 30 to 45 minutes, just drinking hot chocolate, eating roasted peanuts, and we were still there the same amount of time. So by the time we put our tree on top of our van and started driving back, it's dark. Well, that meant as we're driving into Waverly, we start seeing all sorts of Christmas lights. And that's when Leanne and I looked at each other and we called an audible. We realized this might be the only time this Christmas season where we have all of our kids in the car. We're together. Let's go see the light display at 103 Eliason Avenue. Have any of you been to the, the light display there? If you have not, it is a synchronized light show where they have their own little radio station broadcasting about five different songs and the lights dance everywhere to, you know, Mannheim Steamroller and Trans-Siberian Orchestra and, you know, Amazing Grace. I mean, it is a great show. But what it made me realize is that there are different stages of Christmas lighting. First, there's stage zero. That would be my house, where you have no lights, right? It isn't because I'm not, like, for Christmas. It's that I just don't have lights for my house, and so I have nothing really to put out. But I'm at stage zero. But I honestly believe that stage zero is better than stage one. Stage one is where you're barely trying. I mean, you just throw out something, (laughs) and you call it good. And when people see your stage one, they think, I really wish you hadn't done anything. What we mostly want to see is stage two. Stage two is where you really put effort into it. That there is my house in Cedar Rapids. That's how our house used to look. We have a very different house and our half of our lights are dead. That's why we don't have anything right now. But I used to love decorating our house. And you go to stage two. It's where it's it's simple. There's some intention. Like it just adds beauty. And then there's stage three. That's what the house on Eliason Avenue is. It's like a competition sport. Like you have to beat everyone else. Your, your, you know, your bill, your electric bill is like tripled in December because like they're rerouting airplanes around your house because it will blind the pilots. They won't be able to find the airport. But that's not the last stage. There's one more. Stage four. If you're in stage four, you need an intervention, right? If this is your house, we need to talk. All right, now, despite the risks of seeing a stage four house, we still pile into cars, driving around, hoping to see some stage two and stage three homes. Why? 
think because humans are drawn to light. I mean, if you just look back throughout history, you can find ancient religions where the people would see the sun, this powerful light in the sky, and they would imagine it was some sort of God, and they would begin to worship it. They were drawn to the light. Or here in Iowa, every spring, as we emerge out of our hibernation, you can't keep people indoors any longer. They have to get outside into the sun. We are drawn to the light. We're, we're like little buds. You know, we, we go outside and we look at these Christmas lights and we just stick around going, ooh, look at that one. Why are we drawn to light? Well, because I think it brings joy. I think it can bring hope. For, for some of us, it, it kind of gives us like this confirmation, this confidence. And for some of us, when we see some light, it fills us with awe. For, for example, if you happen to be up before the sun rises and you look out your window, there's suddenly just this hope of the new day as you watch the sun come up. Or if you go outside at night and you're away from the city and you look up at a clear sky and you just see the stars and the galaxies, it just fills you with awe. Or even something simpler. You're in your basement, in the dark, you don't want to step on a Lego. That's the worst pain in the world. So you pull out your smartphone, turn on a flashlight, and that now gives you confidence that you will be able to walk pain-free through your basement. Light gives us joy, gives us hope, gives us confidence, and it could fill us with awe. I think that's why the Apostle John, in his passage that we just heard read a little bit ago, describes Jesus as light. Jesus came to give us joy, came to give us hope, came to fill us with awe. I hope today you walk out with a little bit of that, that today as we look at the coming of Jesus, as we look at this incarnation, that we would walk out with some joy. We would walk out with some renewed hope, that there would just be a sense of awe about who God is and what he's doing. But I do need to warn you, there is going to be a twist in today's message. Because what we're going to discover is that the coming of Jesus isn't just to fill us with joy and hope and awe. That the coming of Jesus actually affects the way we live. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go into the scriptures now, I pray that you would be our teacher. That you would open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us. I pray for anyone who here in this Christmas season is struggling whether it's because of family dynamics or something's going on at work or there's fear about finances or there's fear about what is ahead, I pray that in the midst of that right now, you would bring hope, you would give them confidence that you are with them, that today you would fill them with awe and that awe would give them joy about who you are and that Jesus came. But God, I pray you'd also help our hearts and our minds to be open to hearing what you have for us. Because Jesus, you didn't just come to change kind of our emotions. You, you came to actually change who we are and what we do. So Father, help us to hear that now. And it's in your son's name I pray to you, Father. Amen. 
If you brought a Bible with you today, uh, whether it's a paper copy or digital, open it up to John chapter 1, our key passage for this series, John chapter 1. If you are a guest with us and do not have a Bible, I've got the scripture on the screen for you, so do not worry, you can read along with us. But I would encourage you, stop by our Give and Grow table. We've got a couple of different Bibles back there, different translations. Just catch me afterwards. We'll find the translation that will fit you best. Or if you have a smartphone, we encourage you, go find one of the free uh, Bibles that are out there, download one, and that way, wherever you go with your phone, you always have a Bible with you. Uh, We've been looking at John 1, 1 through 18. Uh, We've heard it read every single week, so thank you very much, Ed, for reading that as part of our worship this morning. Today, we're going to jump back into verse 4, a verse we were at last week, but we're going to kind of complete it, and we're going to go on. So join me in John 1, verse 4. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So far in this series, we have seen how the incarnation is to change our view of God. We saw in week one that because Jesus, God, the son, he was, he was called the word in verses one and two and how this word was with God and was God. And so as God, the son, he's God because he's the son of God, but yet he's also with God. He's with God, the father, and he's with God, the spirit. But yet Jesus didn't just stay remote in heaven. He took on human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the fact that God came to us lets us know that God is knowable. He's not just some distant God removed from us. He came to us so that we could learn, that we could know him personally. And so the incarnation changes our view of God. But then last week, we discovered that not only does the incarnation change our view of God, it changes our view of self. We saw how because Jesus came, it showed just how sinful we were. We went back into the creation account and we saw that God created Adam and Eve in his image. And yet Adam and Eve in chapter three of Genesis, they sinned against God. The image that God had put in them had been broken. The spirit of God that had been breathed into them was now dead. And so ever since every human born has been born spiritually dead. And the fact that Jesus came shows just how bad it was. Because if there was any possibility that we could kind of fix things ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. God could just wait or give us enough instruction and we could repair things ourselves. But the fact that Jesus came showed us that we are more sinful than we realize. And yet the fact that Jesus came shows that we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. That that because the image of God is in us, even if it's broken, even if that spirit is dead, that God can resurrect it. He wants to mend it, to bring us back into relationship with him because he loves us passionately. You have so much worth. And so the incarnation not only changes our view of God, it changes our view of self, helping us see that we are more sinful than we realize, yet we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. But John doesn't stop there. He continues on. And what we're going to see is John is going to help us see that the incarnation also changes how we live. And to help us see that, he starts talking about light. Look at it there in verse 4. He says that in him, in Jesus, was life. We looked at that phrase last week. But now he says, and the life was the light of men. If you've heard the last two messages, you might remember that we've been going back into Genesis because of what John does here in his passage. He starts his passage off saying, in the beginning. 
Well, that's exactly what the Moses wrote in Genesis in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. And so John, we saw last week, wanted to make it clear that in verse 3, nothing was made without being made through Jesus. It's all about Christ. So even creation was all about Jesus. But now there's this jump from life to light. Well, think about it. With this creation theme being woven through this, if you stop and ask yourself, what was the first thing that God made? Light. And so as God is preparing to create life, what's the first thing he creates? Light. Because without light, you can't have life. One of my favorite study tools when I prepare my messages is the NET Bible. Uh, NET Bible stands for New English Translation. If you go to Bible.org, you can uh, find the NET Bible there. They have this luminous study environment. I use it almost weekly as I prepare my messages. The NET Bible has, what it's famous for is it was first put out on the internet. They had no goals of putting out a printed translation. Uh, the reason was because now with the internet, you weren't confined to pages and, and your Bible didn't have to become so thick. So what they could do is put all of their study notes, their translator notes out there for other people to see and understand why they translated something the way they did. So if you use something like the, some of the newer translations, like English Standard Version, or I, I forget what some of the others are, they actually went and relied upon the Net Bible in helping them understand how to translate certain things a certain way. Well, I went to the Net Bible this week, looking at John 1, and as I was looking at verse 4, one of the study notes said that this was an allusion to Psalm 36, 9. Well, Psalm 36, 9 says this, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Now, this psalm is written by David, King David. And notice, in the first half of that, he points out that God is the source of life. He calls him the fountain of life. Well, that's what we saw in Genesis chapter 1. Moses is pointing that God is the source of life. God's created it. And now here David is affirming it, that, that God is the fountain of life. But notice what David does. As soon as he starts talking about life, he starts talking about light. There's this tie between life and light, and you can't remove it. Because without light, you can't have life. Just stop for a second and think about it. If you don't have light, then plants can't take that light energy, convert it into the chemical energy, the food that they need to be able to grow and produce. And so therefore, if you get rid of plants, now there are certain animals that won't be able to survive because God made them to need to eat these plants. And now if you eliminate them, then your carnivores don't have anything to eat. And so if there was to be life in this light void world, it would have to be fundamentally different, completely different than we could even possibly imagine. Just look at how the human has been designed. Our eyes were made to take in light. It's what allows us to interact with our environment. It allows us to see other people. It's what allows us to be able to build these relationships with them. Without light, you can't have life. That's why, like David in Psalm 36, or Moses back in Genesis 1, John, as soon as he says that in Jesus was life, immediately he ties it into light, that that light was the life of men. So Jesus, he, he brings life, he brings light. He brings spiritual light into our spiritually dark souls. But he doesn't just bring light. Jesus is light. N notice what John continues to do. Look, look down at verse 6. 
He says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's not talking about himself, the apostle John. He's talking about John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. John came just a few months before Jesus did, preaching, preparing the way for Jesus to then come and start teaching about the kingdom of God. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light, all right? So you're thinking at this point, okay, yeah, the, the light is, you know, this life that's in men, you know, that comes from Jesus, that Jesus brings the light, that all might believe through him. No, wait a second. If you stop, you suddenly realize John, the, the writer, just personified light. He just referred to light, and it says through him. And then he jumps back to John the Baptist and says, John's not the light. So now this light isn't just something that gets brought. It's actually now a person. He, John, was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, that which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. John is pointing out that Jesus is light, now, he's already described Jesus as the word. Now he's describing him as light. Where does John even get this idea? Maybe from Jesus himself. R remember, John was a disciple of Jesus, hung out with him for three years, heard Jesus teach all sorts of things, and he ended up recording a lot of it. And one of the things he heard Jesus say was this. Flip over to John chapter 8. John 8 Verse 12, Jesus is te teaching. He's in front of a bunch of, of Jewish leaders. They're having a real problem with who Jesus is, what he's doing. And so Jesus says this, John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now do you see where John gets it? Because he heard Jesus himself stand before these Jewish leaders who were doubting him. They're speaking against him. And Jesus just flat out says, I'm the light of the world. For you to truly see the way to the Father, you need me. I'm your flashlight. I'm your north star. I'm your candle. And when you see me, you no longer walk in darkness and have to worry about stepping on spiritual Legos. You have the light, the path. And it's me. I am the light the world. And when you start realizing that Jesus is the light, it starts to bring you joy. It starts to give you hope. It give, fills you with awe because Jesus is the light. And you start looking at who he was and what he did. And you realize that he came as a baby. God set aside all of his rights as God to take on human flesh to go and live a sinless life, but yet to go and die in sinner's place. And when you realize that, it does all those things that light does. We are drawn to it. We realize there's love there. We're filled with joy. We're filled with hope. We're filled with awe. But I warned you, there was a twist in this. I mean, that right there, that great message. I could just go with that right there. Awesome. But Jesus doesn't stop there. And so because Jesus doesn't stop there, we can't stop there. The twist is actually found in Matthew chapter 5 in one of Jesus' most famous sermons. So turn over to Matthew 5. Jesus is giving what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts his Sermon on the Mount with what are known as the Beatitudes. Uh, these Beatitudes are these 11 blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the, the meek. I mean, he goes on and on and on. As soon as he finishes those Beatitudes, he starts shifting his message. And the second thing he says is this. Matthew 5, verse 14. You 
are the light of the world. So now, wait, Jesus, John says, is the light of the world. Jesus himself said he's the light of the world. But now here Matthew says, no, 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 Jesus actually said you are the light of the world. Like, is Jesus confused? Are Matthew and John mixed up? Not a bit. Remember last week, as we were looking at John 1, uh, verses 12 through 13, we saw that we could become children of God. Those who became children of God were those who were born of God. It came by receiving Jesus, believing in his name, as, as we just heard read. Well, when you receive Jesus, you then become this child of God. It's not something that you do on your own. God's the one who does it for you. He, he births you into his family. You become born of God. And now you're a child of God which means you are to be like the Son of God. That's why at Riverwood, we talk about loving like Jesus loved and living like Jesus lived. And therefore, also, we are to be a light like Jesus was a light. Just as Jesus showed the way to the Father, we are called to show the way to the Father. This is why Jesus can stand and declare, I am the light of the world. And yet turn around and say to you, if you follow Jesus, you are the light of the world. You too are to help shine the path and show people the Father. Show them the gospel. Show them that their sins can be forgiven. Show them that they don't have to live in spiritual darkness. Show them the way. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He, he doesn't just say, you're the light of the world and move on. He actually helps us understand what we are to do as lights. And he tells us two things. The first is, don't hide it. Don't hide your light. Look at the second part of verse 14 and 15. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We live in a culture where it is okay to have faith. It's just you're encouraged to keep it private, whether it be at the workplace or in politics or even at our Waverly City Council meetings. It's okay to have faith. Just keep it quiet Keep it to yourself. And yet Jesus seems to be saying the opposite. He's saying, no, you are to shine your light. Don't hide it. And, and he kind of gives a, a ridiculous image. Because in their day and age, they didn't turn on a lamp by just flipping a switch. It was lighting something. They, they put a flame. It's the equivalent, kids, of, of like a candle. Now, do you go and put a basket over a candle? No, because that's a fire hazard right there. You're going to bring your whole house down. But also, just imagine the imagery. You, you light this thing to, to give light, and then you put something over it to hide it. it. It's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Well, likewise, if you follow Jesus, you have the light of life within you. So why would you hide it? Why would you put something over it and keep it quiet and keep it all to yourself? If you have truly found the light, you have found the way to the Father, then you cannot keep it to yourself. Don't hide it. In fact, that leads to the second thing. Jesus says next, to shine it. Shine your light. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. I think oftentimes there are Christians who believe that to shine your light, it, it means you have to, you know, like wear a Christian t-shirt or you, you put a Bible verse up in your cubicle or you, know, you, you blast 101.9 from your radio. Like, to them, that's how they're shining their light. I, I'm not saying that stuff's wrong or evil. I, that's not Jesus' point, though. Let me give you an example. Uh, years ago, way back in the early 2000s, uh, a friend of mine named Rich 
was working for a company called Integrity, Integrity VTC. VTC stood for Video Teleconferencing. This is far before FaceTime or Zoom or Skype or any of those technologies came along. And companies were investing millions of dollars in this video teleconferencing technology because it turns out in the long run it was going to be cheaper than flying your employees from one place to another to engage in face-to-face -face conversations with whether it be a, a customer or fellow employees who were just at a different office in another city. And so they were spending millions of dollars in this technology. And when 9-11 happened, suddenly everyone was scared. And now they were really pouring money into VTC. And so Rich's industry was booming. Rich's boss named the company Integrity VTC because the boss was a Christian. He would regularly talk about going to church. He would brag about how he consistently gave 10%. He would play Christian radio in his car and in the office. I mean, he talked about it a lot. The problem was he didn't live it out. He was known for scrupulously cheating people out of money. He consistently lied. I could tell you a story of how he actually owes millions of dollars to my friend Rich, and yet he wouldn't pay any of it. He kept it all to himself. In fact, this guy owned a company before Integrity VTC that was still in VTC, and it had a different name. But because he had managed it so unethically, no one would work with him. So he renamed it and would send different guys to go and deal with them, hiding the fact that he was the owner behind it all because no one would work with him. Rich said it was so bad that some of the employees, when they would gather, they would not only talk bad about uh, their boss, they would actually malign Christianity because of the behavior of their owner. Now, he was shining his light listening to radio, talking about going to church, even bragging about how much he tithed. And yet, was he really shining his light? That's why Jesus says right there, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. That's why I believe Jesus would say that if you truly want to shine your light, it will shine more brilliantly when you actually sit and listen to a friend share about the struggles in her marriage than if you go and like post a, a Bible verse on Facebook. That, that your light will be more brilliantly seen if you will go and rake your neighbor's lawn than if you just stick a manger up in your own. That, that perhaps your light will be more bright, or more bright, brighter, you know what I mean. But that your light is brighter if, if you actually go and serve sacrificially and give sacrificially than if you just play Christian radio, or you go and stand on a street corner and preach. Now, I, I am not saying that you can't use words. In fact, I believe that to truly share the gospel, it's going to require words. But I don't think anyone's going to hear your words until they see the actions. They can't really receive it until they see the light. Because if you're living, in a sense, in darkness, then your words are just dark, and they can't see them clearly, and they can't receive them. But if you are living in the light, then they can see it and receive it. And notice what happens. Jesus finishes it and says, and they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I believe when you serve someone selflessly, you give of yourself to them, that right there, that action, that is worship to God. Right? God sees that, it gives glory to him. But when you serve truly selflessly, you serve motivated by the gospel, and someone says, thank you. You suddenly become a conduit, and that thank you goes right up to the heaven, and God receives the glory. 
Now, I, I personally believe that if you go into a situation and you serve so that you look good, so you're serving just so you can feel good about yourself, then when you receive the thank you, it, it stops right there because you just took the glory. But when Jesus is the center of your identity, this gospel is everything about you, it becomes all about the light that's in him. Now suddenly you're motivated to serve selflessly because you see what Jesus did for you. Jesus set aside his throne in heaven to come down as a baby, to live a sinless life, to go and die your death. And so with that motivation, when you go to serve, any thank you you receive is glory to your Father in heaven. And when you then are that kind of light, suddenly you are now giving joy. You are giving hope. You are helping fill them with the awe of Jesus. So I want you to realize that the incarnation, it shows us that it, our view of God changes, that we can actually know him because he came to us. That the incarnation changes our view of ourself because we are uh, more sinful than we realize, and yet we are more loved than we could ever imagine. But now today, I want you to realize that the incarnation changes what you do. It changes how you live. You are called to be a light. You know, Christmas, we tend to think of it as being about presents. And it is. It really is about the greatest gift ever given, Jesus. And that gift is light. It gives us joy. It gives us hope. It gives us awe. But what if this Christmas... You lived your, your, your life in a way that suddenly you're going to be a light. You're going to serve others, to give selflessly of yourself. You might just be the greatest present anyone receives because it's now through you they see Jesus. And as they meet Jesus, as they find him and begin to follow him, they suddenly this Christmas are filled with joy. They suddenly have a renewed hope. They are filled with awe. So let us, as a church family, Shine our light before others. Heavenly Father, it's one thing for us to hear this. It's another thing for us to go and do it. And so, Father, I pray that you would do the deep work in us that's required. Jesus, I just pray for my church family, for those that, that have placed their faith in you, that they would allow you, through your Holy Spirit, to do that work in them, to, to continue to remove the selfishness, the, 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 the inward focus, and that our eyesight would be on you and on others. Lord, there's a world out there that is hurting. They need your light. They are walking in spiritual darkness. And they're bumbling about in their marriages, in their parenting, in their workplaces, in life. They might be putting on a happy front outside, but inside it's dark. And they need your light because your light is the life of men. So Father, I pray that you would use us to shine your light, and that it would be seen in what we do. God, I pray you'd purify our motives, that as we go to serve others, we wouldn't do it for our own attention. We would do it because you love these other people. And we see that because you love us. God, I want to see us be a church family that is a tremendous blessing to our community, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. I want us to be a light. You've called us to be the light of the world because you are the light of the world. So God, I pray that you would purify each and every one of us so that we become that light you call us to be. Lord, I just pray right now for anyone that's here that is not a follower of you. They do not have your light. I pray today would be the, their day of birth. 
that they would have a spiritual birthday, that in this Christmas season, they would understand that you, Jesus, God the Son, took on human flesh, became a baby to live that sinless life that we were always intended to live, and yet you went and died the death we should have died to pay for our own sin. And when that realization floods into our hearts and our minds, as your light shines in, we become children of God. So God, I pray that today someone would become your child. I pray that you would just lead them to confess their sin, to express their, their regret, and to recognize that you, Jesus, paid it all for them. And then, Lord, lastly, I just want to pray for our community. I pray for those that you have put us around, whether those be coworkers or family members, uh, neighbors, people who are living in spiritual darkness. And I pray, Father, that you would give us the joy of being used by you. Show us how we can show that you care. So help us, Father, to see the ways we can serve others. Help us to serve with that pure motive so that when they say thank you, it's going to you. We pray, Father, that this Christmas season, they too might have the light shine into them. So I pray that this Christmas season would be the start of a revival. We would see people's lives fundamentally change. It wouldn't be about just presence and the, the economy and, and the normal, normalcy of Christmas, that it suddenly would become about Jesus, the greatest gift of all. So Father, I pray you would shine your light into us to give us joy and hope and awe and that you would send us to do the same and to give the same. So in Jesus' name we pray together.